one of the things I'm going to do with this podcast moving forward for this season and beyond is to not keep it to strictly Avalanche news. Of course, this is Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast. I am Eric Dean, by the way, Mile High Sports. Um, But despite the title and the go-to Avalanche podcast part, I mean this without any arrogance at all, but I feel like it would be a disservice to keep myself to strictly Avalanche thoughts. I, I have a lot of thoughts about the NHL, a lot of thoughts about what's going on around the league and even around the world. I mean, there are things that we can talk about related to hockey, related to the Avs. Uh, I loved what was going on in Boulder this past weekend with the CU-CSU game. I loved seeing The Rock show up you know, and at Ball Arena for SmackDown on Friday night and then being all over the uh, the game and in Boulder and, you know, all up in the Deion Sanders news and, and hoopla around that game. It was just really, really cool. But the reason why I mentioned this is one of the things I want to talk about today is the Mike Babcock situation, which, you know, I'm recording this podcast. It's 9 p.m. Sunday night. And we've now heard the news and seen the news that Mike Babcock has resigned According to Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff, of course, he's resigned as coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And according to Frank, the last 24 to 48 hours have kind of been spent negotiating his exit after the NHLPA investigated the, the, the reports that he was looking through players' phones and looking through their pictures, making younger players uncomfortable. Something that was first reported on on the Spit and Chicklets podcast by Paul Bissonnette. And Pascal Vincent takes over as the head coach of the Blue Jackets. It is one of the most fascinating stories in hockey. But I don't necessarily want to touch on Mike Babcock and that situation itself. That's been beaten to the ground. And, you know, my thoughts are pretty similar to everybody else. I feel like he had an opportunity and and, and he blew it. He's, he's been out of the league for three and a half years. And I respect Mike Babcock. I lived in Detroit during those years where he was an incredible, incredible coach, uh, playing obviously with an incredible team and, and winning gold medals for Team Canada, which I obviously root for. So... I respect him as a coach, but it's it's hard to get past this stuff over and over again with him. And, and this, to me, says it's probably the end of hearing about Mike Babcock as a head coach in the NHL. Um, but the part of the story that I kind of want to break into a little bit is Marty Walsh leading the NHL PA. And I'll get to that soon. I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit, but I'm going to clip to the end of this podcast an interview I did with Adam Vingan, who... Adam Vingan is a reporter out of Nashville who covered pretty much the entire time that Ryan Johansson was a part of the Preds, starting from that trade with for Seth Jones many, many years ago, the one-for-one one trade, heading all the way into the end of the 2022 playoffs. Adam was one of the reporters in Nashville, most recently with The Athletic, that covered Ryan Joe and, and had a lot of great things to say about Johansson and his career with the Pred. So that interview is going to be clipped to the end of this. It's a pretty dang long one, but it is a great, great interview with a lot of good insights on the Avalanche's new second line center. Uh, Adam was very generous with his time and gave me a lot of really cool thoughts and, and, you know, kind of got me a lot more excited than I already was to cover Johansson and to meet him in person, which will obviously be coming up this week with training camp. So that will be at the end of the show, but there's a few avalanche things I want to touch on, and then we'll touch on Marty Walsh and the NHLPA, and then we'll kick it to Adam. So here we go, starting with Pavel Francouz. Frank Saravalli, who I've already shouted out once in this podcast, reported several days ago that the avalanche are worried that Frank uh, that Frankie hasn't completely recovered from his adductor surgery that he had after the postseason last May. And uh, they're worried that he's going to miss some time. So they are in the market for a backup goalie. Now, the fact that this is news, and I know I'm, I'm speculating here, but the fact that this is news makes me think that it is something a little bit more long term. Because if it was a three to four week thing where Frankie will be ready by, let's say, November 1st for a season that starts October 11, um, I'm sure they would ride it out with Frank, with uh, Georgie and Eustace Annan as the backup. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. It sounds like it's a little bit longer. The uh, the exact ter- the exact verbiage that Frank used was Fra- uh, sounds like Frankie has or Francois has not completely recovered from his offseason adductor tr- surgery, and there is concern he will miss some time. As we know, Frankie only played 16 games last year, which in itself is already is an issue because that's what led to Georgie playing 62 times in the regular season out of 82 games, unprecedented for what you see in the NHL these days and not what you want from your starter, especially in his first year as a starter. So 
I would suspect that the Avalanche want Georgiev to be a lot more rested heading into the postseason this year. And that's why when I released, I talked last week about how I'm releasing articles, making one prediction for each player on the team. For Pavel Francouz, I said, and this was the day before the news was announced from Frankie there are from uh, Frank Cervalli, Frankie, Frank, it's, it's getting, it's getting to me right now. <laughs> uh, it's late Sunday night here. Uh, but I said about Francois, the prediction I, I made was the Avs' lovable backup goalie will, ho- will hold the title for only one more season. If he has a strong year, he'll earn a pay raise out of the Avalanche, Avalanche's budget. But this is the key. If he struggles again with injuries, Colorado would be smart to look elsewhere for its backup role. Either way, the 23-24 season will be it for Frankie in Colorado. He is 33 years old. He's been around for a little bit, and he's been dealing with a lot of issues. In 2021, he missed the entire season with injuries. In 2022, he made it work. He he swept the Edmonton Oilers. He helped the Avalanche win a cup. In 2023, he was he was only on, in goal for 16 games, and I believe he was 8-7-1. and one. So... If, if this is it for Frankie, hat tip to him. He's been awesome in his time here, but the best ability you can have, my favorite phrase, the best ability you can have is availability. And if Frankie's going to struggle with injuries, you're going to have to look elsewhere. So that is something to keep an eye on. There's a lot of goalies that are probably going to hit the waiver wire here in the coming in the coming uh, weeks, heading into opening night in early October. Um, so I'm really curious to see what happens there. A couple of the names that I would keep an eye on are Casey DeSmith in Montreal. He was part of the big Eric Carlson trade that sent uh, Carlson to the Penguins. Obviously, DeSmith was the backup in Pittsburgh for a very long time to Tristan Jari. That position is now held by uh, Nedeljkovic. So it looks like DeSmith, who was part of that trade, the 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 Pens sending him to Montreal in that three-team deal to get Eric Carlson, it looks like from the start the, the Habs have made it clear that they, they suspect or they expect to trade to Smith before the season starts. They're going to ride with Jake Allen and and Sam Montembeau in goal. So that's somebody to keep an eye on. He might hit the waiver wire. Maybe maybe Chris McFarland makes a trade. You know, he's got a $1.8 million cap hit. If you throw Frankie on LTIR with his $2 million, uh, you know, you can make it work. But if you need a little bit more cap flexibility, in my opinion, it would be smart to try to get to Smith for half half off you know get him for 50 percent retained at this point the Habs just need him off of their roster and off of their books so if you can swing a deal like you did with the Ryan Johansson deal where you give up nothing and get him at 50 percent or even at 75 percent or 80 percent just anything less than what his full contract is that would be a win otherwise you wait for him to probably end up on waivers and you go that route but uh, obviously when it comes to waiver claims you're not guaranteed to get a player just given the way that the waivers work but there's also UFAs out there, most notably, and probably the only notable name is Yaroslav Halak, who was a backup to Shesterkin with the Rangers last year. That's somebody to keep an eye on. Dan Vladar in Calgary, but he's got, I believe, two years at $2.2 million, so that's a little tough. Either way, either way, there will be options out there, and I'm really fascinated to see how this goes. The Red Wings actually is one team to look at. Um, the reason why... Uh, the reason why uh, Nedeljkovic is the backup in Pittsburgh is because he walked from Detroit and the Red Wings, who already have Vili Husso in goal as their starter, they signed two goalies and Alex Lyon, who you all remember was part of the Florida Panthers' playoff run and kind of kept them afloat late in the regular season with some pretty strong play. And then early in the postseason against the Bruins, he was the initial starter before Bobrovsky came in and went pretty much beast mode. Uh, but they signed Alex Lyon as well as James Reimer. And given the fact that Reimer is the veteran, I mean, Lyon's in his 30s as well, but given the fact that Reimer is the veteran and got the higher paid contract, you would expect that he's going to be the backup goalie, which means Lyon might hit the waiver wire as well. And, and if he does, that's somebody to keep an eye on as well. You know, that's someone that you can have as a backup until you figure out what's going on with Francois. You see if Annan can, uh, you know, get a little taste of, of NHL action and, and see where he goes. But either way, it's looking like something is going to move there. And the Avalanche would, in my opinion, be smart not to ride it with just Georgie and Annan if Frankie's going to miss anything more than like the first two, two and a half weeks of the regular season just because of how how quickly that stuff can add up. And then if you get other injuries and now you have other priorities and then you, you end up in a situation like last season. So... That's something to certainly keep an eye on. A couple other avalanche things to talk about. Um, 
the biggest one, uh, well, to me, the biggest one is Valerian Nachushkin has returned to Denver. He took part in the captain skate on Friday. Uh, obviously, I was at uh, Family Sports on Thursday. I was not there Friday when when Val skated, but he did take part in that skate. Um, this is something to watch. You know, by the time you guys are listening to this, it's Monday morning. Uh, I'll be over in Castle Pines at the Avalanches Charity Golf uh, event that they have right before training camp every season. This charity golf event is where last year they announced and had Nathan McKinnon sign in front of media his new $12.6 million deal, the eight years, $100.8 million contract that he signed. And then we got to speak with him, Joe Sackick, and Chris McFarland right after that. So um, I'm excited to see what happens at this golf tournament. I'm excited to see if Nichushkin is present. I doubt he will talk to media on that day. I still suspect he will talk to media at some point and will be uh, very much schooled by PR on how to handle questions and then close the case once and for all of what happened last year in Seattle, last season, I should say, in the in the playoffs. Um, but I'm really interested to see if he's present, how the other teammates of his kind of deal with him. It is it is interesting that, look, number one, I think if Nichushkin was going to be an issue in the locker room, this team would have done everything in its power to not keep him around. Even if that contract, you would say, is immovable, he's still a talented hockey player, and talented hockey players are uh, you know, always on the market and always will have a market for them. So I don't think it's an issue. I don't think Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantan, and Arturi Lekkinen, which are the only other three pieces of the top nine that are returning players, by the way, because there are five new faces now after the, the addition of Tatar, uh, I don't think any of those guys are rolling their eyes at Val like, you know, fuck this guy. He he quit on us in the postseason. So I'm really interested to see what happens there. I'm excited to see Nachushkin skate with the team again. It does give me a little bit of a sense of normalcy. Even if Gabe Landeskog's still not there, it still feels like the Avalanche are a whole with Nachushkin there. And speaking of the rookie, the rookie camp on Thursday, it was the day before the rookies flew out to Vegas for the rookie tournament, which obviously has now wrapped up. But... Seeing the, the the veterans take the ice afterward was, it was so refreshing. Like, I can't explain how good it felt to see, again, Val wasn't there yet Thursday, but Lekkanen, Miko, and Nate were all there, obviously. Your top three forwards, uh, well, three of your top four with Val. You would you could argue that Val is obviously better than Lekkanen. So three of your top four forwards were there. And then all these new faces. And, you know, obviously all the defensemen, all the other guys were there too, but... Ryan Johansson is there. Jonathan Druen. Thomas Tatar, after signing that deal two days earlier, he was there. Ross Colton. Miles Wood. Those are five guys that are now part of the top nine. And it just has such an aura to it. There is this refreshing feel. It was like a reset on last year. And I think the most important thing here is, is the Avalanche, you know, we we do this with every team, and if if you're an Avalanche fan and you remember when the Blackhawks kind of you know took to, took the NHL by storm in 2009, they made it to the third round against the Detroit Red Wings, uh, and lost in the conference final, and that was their coming out party because the very next year they won the Stanley Cup, then they had a couple of hiccups, and then they came back in 2013 and won it. 2014 they made it to the Western Conference Final. 2015 they won it again. So. After those couple of hiccups that they had after the 2010 Cup, the Blackhawks kind of came out and said, like, we're not done. They had to revamp their roster. They lost a lot of guys that were part of that 2010 team. Andrew Ladd, Christopher Stieg, Dustin Bufflin, their goalie, Antti Niemi. They lost a ton of dudes on that roster. And then they kind of rebuilt a little bit. They they pushed the reset button with the same core, the Hosa Kane, Keith and Taves core. Um and they came back the very next year, and it was Dave Boland, one of the newer faces, scored the cup-winning goal in 2013. And then 2015, they did it again. So you look at the avalanche, and you just you get the sense that this is what they want to do. And, and the biggest thing for me is that aura of talent. Like, it just felt so positive. And I know injuries can happen, but even if or when, I should say, injuries happen, it's just different when you have that much talent on a team. It just genuinely is. And there are still probably going to be guys that hit the waiver wire that you can pick up. You know, last year, Dennis Malgin was a pretty good pickup. He wasn't a waiver wire pickup, but he was traded for one in Dryden Hunt. Uh, and he capitalized and scored a few goals. Nicholas Obey-Kubel in 2022, we all remember, was a big piece. So there will be more pieces out there if you have injuries that you can add early in the season. I would say if, if you have injuries in camp, I should say, to the forward group. But 
it was just it just felt so refreshing to see all that talent. You know, Ryan Johansson, he's a behemoth of a player. Seeing Tatar skating around out there, seeing Druen once again staying late with Nathan McKinnon, and seeing his 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 stall in the dressing room, literally right next to Nathan McKinnon's in that corner. McKinnon has uh he's against the wall and with with two stalls, him and Gabe Landeskog, and then right from the corner from him is Jonathan Druen. He's kind of corner to corner, knee to knee with Druen. You know he wants him to succeed. He wants to help his buddy out, and the Avalanche need him as much as he needs the Avalanche. I am so excited to see what Druan does this season, and uh, I'll be the first to say it. I'm drinking the Jonathan Druan Kool-Aid. But it, it's just such a different feel when you have Miles Wood, Ross Colton, and, and Tomas Tatar expected to be your third line. You guys, you know, I'm sure you guys have all seen it. There are all those you know, bot Twitter accounts that just send out messages about cryptocurrency. And the reason why I mentioned that is because I still get from time to time, I'll get random notifications on Twitter. Well, X, whatever. Uh, a random tweet of mine will be liked. And I had a tweet from back in whatever, January, February, in the middle of the season. And it had over 1500 likes or something like that. And a crypto, one of those bot accounts liked it the other day and I read it and it said something, I don't have it in front of me, but it said something along the lines of how the Avalanche have completely rebuilt their bottom six with the acquisitions of Dennis Malgin and Matt Nieto. And how it is so great to see Dennis Malgin and Matt freaking Nieto in the bottom six, no disrespect to those guys, in the bottom six, scoring each three goals over the last 10, 11 games or whatever giving the Avs something that isn't coming from Miko and Val and Nate and Lekkinen and Comfer, giving them some depth scoring. And I looked at that tweet, and then I looked at the ice, and I saw Tatar and, and, and Colton and Wood buzzing around, and it's just, it's night and day. It is absolutely night and day. Dennis Malgin was on the third line. He can't touch the third line with those three forwards. The fourth line is where Matt Nieto was playing, and I know there are no newcomers. The expectation is you'll see Ben Myers as the center there. Maybe maybe Frederick Olofsson gets an opportunity. Maybe it's it's Andre Pavel, but Logan O'Connor and Andrew Cogliano will be on the fourth line. Are they new bodies? No. If Ben Myers is the fourth line center, is he a new body? No. But the most important thing is Matt Nieto was on the fourth line because Cogs and O'Connor needed to play in the top nine, and even in the top six at times on that line with JT Comfort. They were the second line for a very long time. So to see these guys added into the lineup, making up that new third line is, is just night and day difference from when the depth looked like a season ago. And I know what you're saying. I, I, I know a minute ago I said I'm drinking that Jonathan Drouin uh, Kool-Aid and, and Ryan Johansson, he's an experiment as well. But Look, man, uh, Druen, and, and I say look, man, as if I'm talking to somebody like JJ on the other side, that's not the case. But look, Druen and Johansson, these are two guys, obviously they are coin flips. They are, they're, you know, on the team for a combined $4.825 million. It's a pretty damn good gamble from the Avalanche. One's on a one-year deal, the other's on a two-year deal. I'll take that all day. But both of these guys in bad seasons scored a half a point a game on bad teams on the Nashville Predators and on the Montreal Canadiens. And I know Drouin only had two goals, but he had 29 points and I believe 55 games. And it was very similar for Ryan Johansson, 28 points, but he missed quite a few. He, he played also in the 50s. These are guys that if they don't completely take off, if your second line is, I don't know, let's say Ross Colton playing center with Tatar, who's been a top six winger pretty much his entire NHL career. And on the other wing, it's Val Nichushkin because both Johansson and uh, and uh, Jonathan Druen need to play on the third line. Well, guess what? A third line of Druen, Johansson, and Miles Wood, three you know three guys that Miles Wood is the is the staple of that line. He's the only one on that line that doesn't score at a half a point per game pace last season, I should say. That still looks good. That is still something I can ride with. So this team has a lot of depth, and I'm so excited to see how it shakes out. Um, so let's see how it goes. Like I said, if you're listening to this Monday morning, I'm probably already tweeting from uh, the, the the golf charity golf thing. Uh, we expect there will be some kind of media availability, whether it's a player, whether it's a coach, multiple players, Chris McFarland, Joe Sackick. Someone's going to probably not Joe, but uh, C-Mac, Jared, like someone's going to talk to us. And, and I'm excited to get the ball rolling because Monday is the golf charity golf event. Tuesday's a day off. Wednesday is media day at a hotel in Englewood. And then Thursday is day one of training camp on the ice, 
full steam ahead. It's it's an exciting time for hockey. So with that, I want to move over to the Marty Walsh news. Um, and this is something that I I wanted to I wanted to talk about because I think it is so fascinating to see what kind of shook out these last couple of days with the Mike Babcock situation. So Babcock kind of gets outed on the Spit and Chicklets podcast as making players feel uncomfortable, taking their phones, connecting it to airplay, looking through their camera roll. Quickly, Babcock and the captain Boone Jenner came out and released statements via the Columbus Blue Jackets organization that that this is being blown out of proportion. Boone Jenner, who's you know an older veteran on the team, he's the captain. Uh, he spoke about how he's got a family and Babcock was looking at his family's photos and he was looking at Babcock's photos and they were kind of together just you know connecting and getting to know each other in that way. Um, and then Johnny Goudreau was at the NHL media tour in, in Vegas and he was asked about it and he pretty much said the same thing. He's got a new family and he said Babcock... On 32 Thoughts, the podcast with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, he said that Babs wanted to fly out to New Jersey and meet him and his family in person, didn't get an opportunity. So they exchanged photos. They looked at each other's photos, kind of introduced each other to each other's families and things like that. So they both debunked it pretty quick. But then the NHLPA felt the need to investigate. And it sounded like it was because Marty Walsh, and Ron Hainsey, who's is pretty much his assistant now at the NHLPA, who used to play for Mike Babcock when he was with the Maple Leafs, Marty Walsh did some investigating, spoke to some younger players on the team, and started to get a sniff that some of these players felt uncomfortable, you know, because not everybody's Boone Jenner and Johnny Goudreau that have young families. These are young players that are being asked to, to give up their phones, to look through the camera roll. And obviously, the, the, the details are shoddy. We don't know exactly how it happened, but... It's really fascinating and unprecedented to me, and I've used that word a few times, that Marty Walsh packed up, got on a flight, flew to Columbus, and spoke to the players himself. And the reason why that that's a big deal is because we have not seen that type of leadership atop the NHLPA in a very long time. Donald Fair was not like that. The NHL, when they went into the 2013 lockout, the split for the hockey-related revenues was 57% for the players, 43% for the owners. And Donald Fair, who was supposed to stick up and fight for his players, ended up relinquishing 7% to the owners. It became a 50-50 split. According to a lot of the insiders, Elliot Friedman being one of them, this upcoming negotiation when this new uh, CBA expires here in the next coming seasons, uh, I believe it's 2026, I want to say off the top of my head, one of the things that is rumored is the owners are going to come for that 50-50 split. They're going to try to come for more. And when you see somebody atop the NHLPA, like Marty Walsh, who flew to Columbus to speak to the players, something you've not seen from the NHLPA leadership pretty much ever in my lifetime, to see him stick up for his players that way is just so fascinating to me to see how he's going to stick up for his players when it comes to labor negotiations, when it comes to going to the Olympics, when it comes to setting up a World Cup because the top guys keep talking about it and Marty Walsh is backing them. The most fascinating part of this entire thing was when Babcock announced, well, when the Blue Jackets announced Babcock's resignation. And they put out a statement in Kekaline and said it's best to move forward without him. And we thank him. And Mike Babcock said it's best for me to resign. I'm going to be a distraction, whatever. Moments later, a statement came from the NHL's PA executive, executive director, Marty Walsh. And what I was expecting, because this is what I'm used to in the NHL, is to have somebody in that position say, we thank Mike Babcock for taking this seriously, for stepping down, for not being a distraction. That's what I was expecting. Kind of the old boys club sticking up for the old boys. And Mike Babcock's one of those dudes. He's 60 years old. He's been in the NHL since the 02-03 season with the Anaheim Ducks. But that wasn't the case. The exact verbiage of this Marty Walsh statement on Babcock's resignation is, quote, our players deserve to be treated with respect in the workplace. Unfortunately, that was not the case in Columbus. The club's decision to move forward with a new head coach is the appropriate course of action, end quote. If that doesn't get you riled up for what Marty Walsh is going to do for these players here in the coming seasons, I don't know what does because it sounds to me like this guy is going to run through the wall to get the NHLPA where it should be to get NHL players 
kind of give them more leverage heading into these labor negotiations so we can stop talking about how the NHLPA in 19 or the NHL in 1993 there was a Sports Illustrated cover about how the NHL is hot and the NBA is not and now Steph Curry makes more money in a season than half of the Avalanche's players and and pretty much their entire top 6 it's it's just a wild difference night and day between how much leverage and I'm not saying NHL players are going to make 40 50 million a year because the NHL doesn't make that type of money but it could make a hell of a lot more money and the NHL players because of the NHLPA's leadership could soon see themselves getting a lot more leverage if you have somebody like Marty Walsh sticking up for your for your players association so the labor negotiations in the coming years are going to be really fascinating anytime something like this comes up you're going to see Marty step up for his players it's something that I've not seen in at least the past decade, decade and a half, or whatever it's been, where Donald Fair was at the top of the PA, and I'm excited to see where it goes. So that's it for this Sunday edition. Like I said, we're going to move from here into that Adam Vingan interview. Please give this thing a listen. It's, it's, I believe it's like 30 minutes long, but it is such a good interview, like I said earlier. But before that, I do want to tell you guys about Superbook Sports. Of course, they are the sponsors of the show. Hockey Mountain High is brought to you by Superbook Sports. Why bet big? Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Yes, they are a local sports book here in Colorado. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odd makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code MILEHIGH. That's mile space high. So bet with the best and use promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's kick it to Adam. Hope you guys enjoy the interview. Joining us now as part of our training camp and preseason coverage for the upcoming Avalanche season. We have Adam Vingen, one of our professional hockey writers out from Nashville uh, that I've had the pleasure of seeing a few times in the press box. I don't think we've actually met in person, but I have read a lot of your work. So go ahead and say hello, Adam, and let the audience know exactly what you do and where you're from. Hi. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. Um, as you said, my name is Adam Vingen. Um, currently, uh, I, I am a freelancer. Uh, last season, uh, worked with Sportsnet.ca. Um, writing data-driven stories with help from Sport Logic, uh, but before that, I, I covered the Nashville Predators for more than seven years, from 2015 to 2022, for both the Tennessee and newspaper in Nashville, as well as the Athletic. Um, so, as you said, spent a lot of time at uh, Pepsi Center slash Ball Arena. Uh, great place to see a hockey game. Love going to Denver. Um, travel is one of the aspects of the job I miss because I don't travel in my current role. And although now I am a, a dad of a two-year-old, so I like being home a little bit more. I, I do miss getting out on the road every now and then. But Denver was always one of my favorite stops, um, especially that uh, 2018 playoff series um, with the President's Trophy winning Predators versus the Avalanche. And I remember uh, at the end of that series, which the Predators won in six games, I, I remember thinking to myself, the Avalanche are a team on the come up. Like you could tell in that series that that team was starting to build something really special. And obviously we've seen what's happened since then for the Avalanche. So even in defeat in that first round, as they were still uh, on the rise, you could tell with how good of a series they gave the Predators with Andrew Hammond in net for a couple <laughs> of games. Um, yep. You you know, you yep. could tell that things were going well there. So, yeah, I thank you for having me again and, and happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate that. So uh, I kind of want to get into that real quick because I, I think we had parts during the 22 Cup run where on the show I tried to explain the randomness of travel when it comes to, you know, being in media. And I think back to the Blues series that the Avalanche had in 2022, and then obviously the Stanley Cup final, where they had a chance to win it in five, Tampa won, and they sent it back to game six. What is it like the night of the game? So let's go game five, Avalanche Predators, 2018. Andrew Hammond's in net. The Avalanche, I think they were down a goal. 
they score one late and then they score the, the, the game winning goal shortly after late in the third period, explain the scramble of you got to book a flight, you got to book a hotel. You suddenly got to wake up the next morning and get to Denver rather than I think the president's trophy winners at the time, or if not, they were at least the top seed. The national predators are going to end this series today and we're going to win it in game five. And I'm going to have a few days to rest. Just explain that last minute scramble. Yeah, it's tough. Um, at that time, I was still working for the newspaper, so I had to file on deadline, made sure all of that was taken care of, and then you've got to scramble to to book the flights. Now, sometimes you preemptively book them, like you have them just in case, and if you have to cancel them, you can get, you know, quote unquote, store credit. And you're a little smarter for- than I was, so yes. I, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> right, but but yeah, absolutely. There were times where. You know, you were you were rooting for a specific score, which means you wouldn't have to get back on a plane. I remember, was it 20? It was the 2016 playoffs. The Predators were the lower seed. Uh, they were in Anaheim for game seven. And if they won, which they did, they would have to go immediately to San Jose to start that series in two days. <laughs> so I... <laughs> I had a fl- I, I had to pack for Anaheim in under the idea that I might be staying out on in California because if the Predators win, I'm going immediately to San Jose. So I actually don't think I had a flight booked. Like I got to California for Game Seven, and then I was just like, "Well, I'm either going to have to book a flight back to Nashville or book a flight to San Jose." And the Predators won, and I booked a flight in the middle of the night to San Jose. And fortunately it's incredibly easy to get from Los Angeles slash Anaheim to San Jose. Um, but I think in that playoff, in that playoff uh, run for the predators, which they ended up losing in seven games to San Jose in the second round. God, I wish I knew how many cross country cross country flights I had to make in that like four or five week span. It was, it was close to, double digits i feel like yeah but it it is it is hectic um when when i worked for the athletic because i wasn't on deadline so to speak i could say okay i'm gonna make my arrangements as soon as possible and then i'll continue writing when you're at the paper you've got to make sure everything gets in first you know and then and then book the flight so yeah i mean there's a certain adrenaline rush to it Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, it can be a pain in the ass. Absolutely. But, uh, I remember when the avalanche won that game five, I'm just like, do I really have to go all the way back out there again? <laughs> because of, you Andrew know, Hammond, I, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it was Andrew Hammond. And then someone, someone complete, was it someone completely random scored the game winning the goal. Sven Andrigetto. That okay, yeah. you know what? I, I was gonna say Gabriel Bork, but I'm not sure he was still on the team at I that think, time. I think he was on the. I think he was on the ice. I think it was Andrigetto from Comfer, and I think Gabriel Bork was the other forward. Yes, I, I, it was just some random. It was some. It was like I thank you for remembering. I I would not have remembered the fact that I could still pull Gabriel Bork yeah. out of my head is actually kind of impressive. But I was just like, and then I remember thinking because you know Hammond had that game. And everyone was talking about the Hamburglar and talking yeah. about what he did in Ottawa. And then he laid an absolute egg in game six. Yeah, uh, that wasn't that wasn't going to continue more than a game. <laughs> so, you know, that's the other thing, too, when when, you know, sometimes the best result, especially when you're on deadline, because I, I saw this. I saw this and it actually it is Colorado related. I saw a lot of conjecture about. uh Deion Sanders and his, do you believe now? Do you believe now post game news conference and it it was talking a lot about, you know, how he insists upon being called coach prime. And it led to all of this, you know, you know, journalism shoegazing type stuff about like, you know, rooting, you know, rooting for teams and, you know, the death of it, you know, the death of impartial journalism and all of that stuff. And, you know, sometimes I think that stuff can go a bit overboard. (laughs) <laughs> but to me, I go, I root for the outcome that tells the best story. Yep. So if, if I, if, you know, here's another example, that's also Colorado related. Everything's coming back to Denver and it's completely <laughs> coincidental. When Connor Ingram came in for game three, no, sorry, game two yeah. in Denver, yep. I was not at that game. Um, but I had developed 
a, a close relationship with Connor's parents. So when UC Soros got hurt and it was likely that Connor Ingram was going to get into a playoff game, because let's be honest, David Riddick, not a good goaltender. Um, I reached out to his parents and said, Hey, if Connor gets into a game, I want to write this story from your perspective. And he lost, I mean, they, they lost, but he was outstanding. What a game. game that was. So like, that's the, I was like, you know what? They lost. That sucks for them. And you know, it would have been a, like, it wouldn't have been a good story if he got creamed. You can't tell that story if the predators lose six, one, but even though they lost, he was, you know, outstanding. So even in defeat, you could still tell a really good story. So like I was pulling for Connor because it meant as I hit my microphone, as I was pulling for Connor, because it meant a good story for me. So that's, that's my, when people say, Oh, how is hard is it to root, you know, not to root for the team you cover. It's actually quite easy. It is. I, I just yeah. root for the, I root for the best story. So like Connor Ingram having the game of his life, even in a loss, like turned out to be a really good story. So that's uh that that's my uh, journalism one oh one course for you. <laughs> I love that. So I want to go back to something you said about the twenty eighteen Avalanche, and uh, you can tell that they were on the come up. And the reason why we have you on the show today, you know, I'm doing a lot of season preview podcasts, and I've I've got guys from Toronto, from New Jersey, uh, you know, teams that are looking to contend for the Stanley Cup. Vegas, for example, Florida, you know, coming off a Stanley Cup final appearance. But you cover, or you covered, I should say, the National Predators, and that's ultimately where you reside. And, you know, Barry Trotz is going to do a lot of great things, and they have a lot of fun players coming up, and, and Thomas Novak really took off second half of last season and things like that. But the Predators aren't necessarily going to be, I mean, it's the NHL, anybody could. But uh, the Predators aren't necessarily the team going into the season as a contender. But we have you here to talk about Ryan Johansson. He's coming in as the Avalanche's number two center. Uh, a trade that completely shocked me. I mean, we're talking when the Avalanche were eliminated by Seattle. I went through every single cap friendly page, trying to galaxy brain every possible idea the Avalanche could look at for the second line center. Ryan O'Reilly was one of them. That was an easy one. Who's now in Nashville? I looked at every possible option. I even looked at like Shane Pinto in Ottawa as an RFA and as a young guy and all this. I never once thought of Ryan Johansson, and that's why we have you on the show. We want to talk about him and your time covering him. But I remember when he was first acquired, he did a Zoom call with Denver Media, and he spoke to us, and I asked him about you know, playing the Avalanche twice, 2018 and 2022, and he said exactly what you just said. We played him in 2018. We didn't give him enough respect, and we learned by the end of it that this was going to be a team that was going to give us a problem in this division for years to come. Coincidentally, the difference between 2018 and the very next year was one kill McCarr, also the guy that scored the game-winning goal on Connor Ingram in that spectacular performance he had in Game 2. Um, but I want to talk to you about Ryan Johansson, what you think about him, and and just your thoughts on you know him kind of being the guy that the Avalanche are leaning on after losing Nazem Kadri, then JT Comfer walks, Newhook didn't really develop into the guy they wanted him to be yet. And the Avalanche had to go out and make this savvy trade, $4 million player, half of his contracts being retained. Let's talk Ryan. Yeah, so when I saw that tweet um, on the day that the trade was announced, I wasn't wearing my glasses. And I, I squinted and it was like, the Predators the Predators acquire Alex Galchenyuk for Ryan Johnson. I was like, who is Ryan Johnson? And then I put my glasses on. I said, Ryan Johansson, you know, like that's, that's how shocked I was as, as you were just because really that contract seemed immovable. And I think that is why oftentimes we have conversations about players on bad contracts and you say, Oh, that contract, that can't, that contract can't be moved. I, you know, they made it. I mean, I know that it, I wouldn't know if you would call, for example, like Eric Carlson's contract a bad contract, but it's a huge contract, and that was a, that was a whole thing about him ultimately being traded. You can't trade that contract. They they figured it out. So no no contract is untradeable. But around here, you know, there was there was definitely talk about you know should the Predators buy out Ryan Johansson? Now they ultimately bought out Matthew Shane, which was an equally <laughs> shocking maneuver um but in terms of ryan johansson 
know, I, I covered basically his entire Predators career, except for last season. You know, I remember when they traded him for Seth Jones, or when the Predators traded Seth Jones for him in January of 2016, how big of a deal that was for the Predators. Because Johansson was still young. He was in his early 20s. Um, had some good years in Columbus. I think he had a 26 and 33 goal season on his resume at that time. Um, you know, the Predators hoped that he would be their number one center for for several years. And and, and he was for, you know, he was consistent. Like this, I, this is, this is going to sound, this is going to sound like a hot take, but it's really not when you consider the history of Predators centers. Ryan Johansson was the best center the Predators have ever had when it comes to his production, his importance to the team, his ability to elevate his game in the postseason, which he did on more than one occasion. Now they've had, you know, they've had players with maybe higher name value, but in terms of his production, he was the best center the Predators have ever had, which again speaks to the relative lack of great centers the Predators have had in their franchise history. But that was the reason why they were willing to trade Seth Jones to get Ryan Johansson. I mean, because Seth Jones was in the same boat as Ryan Johansson, you know, blue chip prospect, number four pick in the draft, but he was blocked in the depth chart at the time by Shea Weber and, and Ryan Ellis. Um, so it was really a luxury to have Seth Jones on your third pair. Um, so um, I, you know, Ryan Johansson's first game was in Denver against the avalanche scored the first goal of that game. Beautiful goal. I remember, and, and, and things took off from there, but you know, it, it he's a, it's a comp, he leaves a complicated legacy, I think in Nashville, because as I said, my opinion, best center the team's ever had, but you know, by the end of his time there, clearly he was not living up to the contract. Um, he, you know, was inconsistent. You know, there were nights where you wondered if he was on the ice. There were nights where he, he reminded you why they paid him $8 million per year um, in, in, in the summer of 2017. Um, but, you know, he was, he was definitely a whipping boy of the fan base by the time he was traded. It was very popular around here when things weren't going well to say, Ryan Johansson's a bum. Ryan Johansson sucks. Ryan Johansson this. Ryan Johansson that. And, um, but really, when you look at his numbers, you know, when you look at when you look at his underlying numbers, you know, he he's a good player. You know, he's a better defensive player than I think he gets credit for. You know, he 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 is a, a he's incredibly talented. The thing is, is that it's you know whether or not he flips that proverbial switch all of the time, which is why I do think that Colorado was a perfect landing spot for him because, well, I mean, can't, I mean, obviously Ryan Johansson at $4 million, that obviously changes the, you know, the perception of, of who he is and what he can bring, but he, the pressure's off, you know, he, the, we know all know who the man is down the middle in Colorado, you know, Ryan Johansson does not have to be, number one center. He's not going to be number one center. Nathan McKinnon's got that taken care of. So he can play on the second line and take advantage of quote unquote, softer matchups. He can play on your second power play. He can probably even play on your first power play if you need to, and he can be productive. Um, I just think it, it from where the predators appear to be going. It just wasn't didn't make sense to have, you know, a 30 year old Ryan Johansson making eight million dollars against the cap for a couple more years. So the fact that the Predators were able to basically dump him, you know, it, it you know, it was surprising just because, as you said, you were looking at the contracts like who would want to take Ryan Johansson at that price? See, the, the Predators left him available for Seattle in the expansion draft and even they passed. They could have had him for free, quote unquote, and they didn't even want him. So I, I do think that. He's incredibly motivated. Like I said, I, I covered Ryan for seven years. I, I, I know him well. I, I'm sure he's incredibly motivated. And I think he's going to do well there. I, I really do think that if I were going to, you know, rank landing spots for Ryan Johansson, 
Colorado would probably be near or at the top of the list, even before the trade, just because of, of the fact that they, they have a clear number one line there. He doesn't have to be that guy. He can, he can support Nathan McKinnon, just like, for example, Matthew Shane got bought out. I thought Matthew Shane was miscast in his role in Nashville. Now he gets to go to Dallas where he's behind Robertson and Hintz and Pavelski. Like that's a better spot for Duchesne than it was here trying to be the number one winger on this team. So, you know, I, I really do think that Avalanche fans should be looking forward to Ryan Johansson. Now we could talk about the pros and cons of, yeah. of Ryan Johansson's game for sure. But I think overall he he's going to be good for them. I really think that with less pressure on him to perform to his contract, I think that will help him be uh, as productive as uh, I've seen him be. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of players that have spoken about how contracts could really, you know, do a number on you mentally and affect your game. Uh, it really is a part of the salary cap NHL that we don't really discuss as much as we should. But that kind of brings me to my next question for for Johansson. Obviously, you didn't cover the team last year. You did see his numbers last year. Uh, as compared to the year before where he took off and Forsberg and Duchesne and everybody had a pretty damn good year. Roman Yossi's, you know, 90 something point year and all that. When you look at Johansson, 31 years old, coming off the season, he did. Is that more to you, you know, as a result of a team kind of losing its way out of the playoffs? You can tell their GM's on the way out. There's going to be changes or is that a player that's kind of, you know, a shadow of who he used to be. Is it simply motivation and a better opportunity, better role and better line mates probably that's, that's going to do the trick for Johansson in your, in your eyes. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, it's a really good point you bring up because there is a lot of context that is required. First of all, Johansson was injured. I can't remember exactly when, but he only played 55 games. So he was out for the, you know, for the final couple months of the season. Um, so, you know, he, you know what, made, what made his season two seasons ago when he scored 26 goals impressive was the fact that he was playing with some pretty terrible line mates. Um, his most common line mates in the 21-22 season, if I recall off the top of my head, were Luke Cunning and Ellie Tolvanen. And, you know, Cunning was... A, a major disappointment and Tolvanen, you know, he, he, he's found a good spot for himself in Seattle, but it wasn't working out here. And Joe Hansen to his credit still was productive. Now I just pulled this up in scoring those 26 goals. He shot 22% um, when his career average is about half of that. Uh, so you know, Ryan Johansson is not, he's not really a 20 goal scorer. You know, I, I think Ryan Johansson bought sweets 15 and 19. Um, but he's a really effective playmaker. I think the problem here a lot, especially when, it, when you asked fans what they didn't like about Ryan Johansson, was that he would often, I think this is not unique to Ryan Johansson, I think it's unique to a lot of playmakers, is that he would defer to his line mates and pass when he had a prime scoring chance. And we've seen that Ryan Johansson has a good shot. And a lot of times his coaching staff and the fans wished he would use it more. Um, but he is an effective playmaker. He's, he's good in the face-off circle. Like I said earlier, he's better defensively than I think he gets credit for. Um, I'm looking to see who his most common line mates were last season. As I said, in 21-22, two seasons ago, his most common line mates were Luke Cunning and Ellie Tolvanen. Um, I'm just pulling this up here. So uh, the first one that comes to mind, uh, he his most common line mates were uh, Mikhail Granlund and Nino Niederreiter. That was the combination he spent the most time with. Um, and then it was Duchesne and Niederreiter. Um, the Predators went out and got... All names that are... All names that are no longer there. <laughs> right, right, exactly. The Predators went out and got Niederreiter basically for Ryan Johansson. Like they, they after they saw what happened with Cunning and Tolvin, and they made a point to actually find a, a winger who could perform on Johansson's line. And Niederreiter did for a good amount of time before he was traded to Winnipeg. But, you know, are you familiar with the film Fast Times at Ridgemont High? 
I am not. Okay, it's a classic coming of age high school movie. God, it would have come out in the eighties, I think. Um, it stars it, it stars Sean Penn. It came out in nineteen eighty two. I don't know how old you are, but it came out in nineteen eighty two. So that was before I was alive too. I was born in nineteen eighty nine. But great movie, highly recommended. Sean Penn plays a stoner by the name of Jeff Spicoli. I think it's one of his better roles. I know you think of Sean Penn as a, a serious actor, but back then it was, it, it, it's, it's a fabulous movie for those who haven't seen it. I recommend it. Anyway, I used to refer to Ryan Johansson as the Jeff Spicoli of the Nashville Predators because he kind of, he has that laid back vibe. You know, yeah. he, you know, he doesn't take himself too seriously. You know, no, can, he can poke fun at himself. He can, you know, he, he takes things easy. And the problem with that is when things aren't going well, that's used against you. Like he doesn't care enough. He's not trying hard enough. You know, that I, that was something that Predators fans would say a lot about Ryan Johansson near the end was that he's, you know, that he didn't, he didn't put in the work and that he wasn't trying hard enough, which I, I always think that's BS like professional athletes by and large, they got, you know, they are where they are because they put in the work. You know, but Johansson, that, you know, that laid back vibe can sometimes appear on the ice, you know, in the way he approaches the game. So, you know, he's not a, he's not a speed demon. He's not Nathan McKinnon. You're not going to see Ryan Johansson skate from end to end in five seconds, <laughs> like like McKinnon can or McCarr can or anything like that. He, ta- you know, he approaches the game more methodically and it works when it's on, it's on. And I'm not sure who his line mates are going to be in Colorado. I, I've, uh, you can tell me, I mean, are there any trends forming in so, informal practices right now at captain skates? It's Miko Rantanen and Arturi Lekkonen, which would leave Jonathan Druan and assuming so Val Nachushkin to play with McKinnon. Hmm. Uh, in my opinion, Lekkonen and McKinnon have good chemistry. I would put Lekkonen and Druan with McKinnon and I would, Form the behemoth line of Nichushkin, Johansson, and Rantanen. Yeah, regardless, that's a huge line. That, yeah, I mean, regardless, he's going to have a fifty goal score on his wing. Yeah, yeah that, that, I mean, I would love to know what the average height and weight of of uh, <laughs> of a uh, 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 Rantanen, Johansson, Nichushkin line. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big that's, line. That is a big line, and you know, Johansson. You know, he you know he's you know, when Johansson first got here, he was attached at the hip with Philip Forsberg. And Philip Forsberg is a, a really good power forward, but I think Rantanen is better. And, you know, with that, with that firepower on his wing, you know, I really do think he could benefit uh, Johansson. That is, I'm sure. I mean, Rantanen will benefit too from having someone like Johansson, but I do think Johansson will definitely benefit from, you know, p- potentially having Miko Rantanen a, a, as a line mate. So, yeah, I, I do think that, I mean, if things don't go well in Colorado and, you know, I, I expect them to go well, but there are going to be times in the season when things don't go well. That always happens, uh, unless you're the Bruins during the regular season last year, um, which is, which is why it was historic. Um, there are going to be times where the fan base is going to be like, Ryan Johansson, he's he's washed, he's done. I mean, he's he's closer to the end of his career than the beginning. We get that, but I I think that in terms of a personality, I do think. Avalanche fans will love him. Um, he's great in the community. You know, like I said, really laid back guy, good sense of humor. And I think his teammates will like that too. I think he'll bring, uh, you know, an element of, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He'll definitely, you know, bring a good vibe in the dressing room. Um, I, I, and I think it helps that, that the Avalanche have, you know, a, a clear cut, um, hierarchy of leaders already in that room um like mckinnon like rantanen like mccarr like devon taves if i'm missing anyone please forgive me and but that, they, that's that's basically it with with landis cog still on right, the shelf, yeah. yeah without landis cog but like you know the fact that ryan won't have to be you know the focal point as i said earlier i think is going to work wonders for his game i really do as you said i think you know, the team wasn't, the Predators have not won a playoff series since that series against Colorado. 
You know, they missed the playoffs last season. But before that, you know, they after they beat the Avalanche, they lost to the Jets in seven. Then they lost to the Stars in the first round. Then they lost to the Arizona Coyotes in the qualifying round of the yeah. bubble playoffs. Then they lost. Then they were swept by the Avalanche. Then they didn't make the playoffs. So they have not won a playoff series since 2018. And I have to imagine, as you know, one of the high at for for a long time, the highest paid forward on the team that weighed on Ryan. It was and now he's on a team that's won recently, that knows how to win, and he you know he doesn't have to be the primary source of of offense or one of the primary sources of offense. So I mean, it's going to be something I'm really interested in watching from afar. Is just how the fact that the pressure is off is the, how that is going to help Ryan. I do think it's going to have a positive impact. Like I, you know, I think you could pencil Ryan Johansson in for at least 50 points, if not more, I think he'll be great from the power play too, um, on the second unit. Um, and I said, if he needs to play on the first unit, he can do that too. That's what he was doing here for a long time, but you know, him playing on the second power play unit, perhaps against lesser quote unquote, penalty killers i think could, he could definitely pad his stats there so like you know w- it wouldn't shock me at all if ryan johansson was a 60 point player at, at least this yeah. season yeah i mean that that's something that i could see as well i think uh when you you know when you spoke about his personality and making it seem like he doesn't care because he's a little bit more laid back i think that's going to be totally fine here because the guy centering the top line uh, he does enough caring and has enough fire for for like four or five players. Nathan McKinnon is such a fiery guy that, you know, the Avalanche were better suited. Not that this player didn't care by any means, but by having that strong personality in the locker room in Nazem Kadri when he was here. So that's why I could see Ryan Johansson. Everything I've heard about his personality, just even speaking to him at the end of his Zoom call, going out of his way before he hung up to let the media know, I can't wait to meet all of you. I can't wait to see all of you. And just seems like such a stand-up guy. The last thing I want to touch on is is kind of what you were just talking about in the postseason. You know, the Preds haven't won a series since 2018, but when when Johansson first came in, you know, they they got him in January of 2016. Then they added PK Subban later that summer in that crazy trade for Shea Weber. They go on that Stanley Cup run, and I believe it was correct me if I'm wrong, either Game Five or Game Six against Anaheim, where Johansson gets injured. It's you know the Western Conference Final. He misses the rest of the postseason. And the Preds go on to lose in six games to Pittsburgh. Uh, 2017, I think, right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, yes, yes. Because 2016 was was their San Jose, Pittsburgh, San Jose. So what I kind of want to get at is two things. Number one, how big is Ryan Johansson or, or how much does Ryan Johansson elevate his game when it gets to the postseason? Because the player that I saw in 2017 in that cup run was – you know, miles ahead of anything I've ever seen him do in the regular season. And he's done some pretty damn good things in the regular season. Granted, they haven't won a playoff series since, but now he's coming to a team where he only makes $4 million against their cap. Uh, He's not the number one guy. I feel like this is an opportunity for him to elevate and play that role. It's the same reason why Kadri was able to have the year he did the Avs won the cup. It's because the pressure wasn't the same. It was in Toronto. So number one, how much do you think he can elevate his game in the postseason still at this age? And number two, you know, you covered the series. Could they have beaten the Penguins if Johansson was healthy? And it wasn't, what was it, Freddie Goudreau <laughs> centering the top, the top line? Like, how much of an impact do you think he would have had on that series? He would, who, was, who was the top line center in that series? Uh, was it Freddie Goudreau? Colton Sissons. Colton Sissons, yes, yes, yes. Colton Freddie Sissons. Goudreau was definitely a part of it. Yeah. yeah, he was definitely a part of it. But yeah, Colton Sissons, I think, was him and Mike Fisher were the top six centers for the yeah. Noted, Noted avalanche killer. To answer Colton your question. <laughs> yes. To answer your question, I mean, in that, in that playoff run and then the following playoffs, the one with against the Avalanche and the Jets, yeah. Brian Johansson was over those two postseasons a point per game player. He was he had 27 points in 27 playoff games between 2017 and 2018. You know, he finished with 48 points in 61 playoff games. You know, so that's what, almost like 0.8 points per game. I, I'm yeah. terrible at off-the-hand math. Um, he, he, look, he, you know, he had a quiet, I mean, in the in the series against 
Colorado only had two assists. Um, you know, scored three goals against the against the Stars. I think it was in twenty. No, that's not right. Um, man, I can't remember all these playoff series. Anyway, point being, Ryan Johansson has shown a, an ability to elevate his game when it matters, and that's why sometimes people would get frustrated when he didn't elevate his game all the time. But the one thing for sure is that when stakes are high, Ryan Johansson more often than not rises to the occasion. Uh, like I said, 48 points in 61 playoff games. I mean, not everyone's going to be Leon Dreisaitl and average four points a game in the playoffs or whatever the hell he's been doing in his career. But that's pretty consistent, you know, for, for Ryan Johansson. But, yeah, he was outstanding up until he got injured in um, – in 2017 and he was playing top centers every night he was playing jonathan taves i believe against chicago against st louis i'm trying to think of who their top center would have been at the time um you know and, you know against anaheim he was matched up with kessler famously and those guys yeah, can't that's why, that's why i'm smirking <laughs> yeah they can't stand each other yeah yeah but he was playing top competition and and dominating um so do I still think he has that in him? I do. I, I mean, like I said, it, it, it's probably, he probably, they probably don't need him to do that because they have other players who can, but you know, it was something to behold. Um, he, he was excellent, especially in those two playoff runs in 2017 and 2018. So, you know, I know the avalanche had a tough end to the last season losing to Seattle. Um, you know, the, I mean, how you know, how many players did the Avalanche dress last year? How many major injuries did they have? I mean, it had to have been a franchise record, uh, you know, for most players who actually dressed in a game for the Avalanche during the regular season. You know, you missed your captain basically all season, and, you know, McCarr was hurt first stretch. McKinnon missed time. Like, Nikushkin was out. Like, they missed important players for a long time. And and they still made it to the playoffs, and they, you know, they, they had, you know, they ran into a, a team in Seattle that I've, was quite charmed in that first round, um, but also a good team. Um, so I do think that Johansson will help. As you said, it was clear last season watching the Avalanche from afar. Look, JT Confer had a good season. Yeah, I would not have given him the contract that the Red Wings gave him. <laughs> and I'm sure Chris McFarland and Joe Sackick were like, thanks, but no thanks. We'd rather not. Um, like, I, I think that, I think that, um, Johansson can fill that role and be more productive um, just because I think that's a role he's more suited for than maybe Confer was. I mean, Confer, Confer elevated as a game last season. He had a no great play. season. Yeah. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's um, what's the word I'm looking for. Like, I don't, I don't think that's representative of what you expect from JT Confer going forward. Like that's not necessarily what you saw before then. And I'm not sure you're going to see it after like it may, it was a contract year. He got his bag. Good for him. Uh, I think that Johansson is better suited for that role than Confer was. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll agree with that on Confer. I'll I'll close off with this: the uh, the most fascinating part of the Avalanche going into this season is their center spots. You know, obviously, you know, not just losing JT Confer as a second liner, but the fact that he was their third line center for a very long time. Darren Helm was their fourth line center, played only. 11 total games last year between this regular season and the playoffs. He's now retired. Uh, Nazem Kadri was their second line center from that cup team. He's now gone. The most fascinating part of this offseason was re redoing that center core, especially the top three, getting Johansson at 4 million and getting Ross Colton at 4 million adds up to the same $8 million that Alex Newhook and JT Confer will be making on their teams next year. So it's going to be really interesting to see, how those how that duo does as compared to you know what new hook gets in an opportunity in Montreal <clears throat> JT Comfer in Detroit playing behind Dylan Larkin so uh but to the Avalanche's case Ryan Johansson I'm I'm really excited to see what he could do playing with Miko Rantanen I really hope Val Natrushkin's on that other wing uh Either way, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, I just wanted to thank you for jumping on here and talking about him. You're, you know, when I think of National Predators beat reporters and, and writers, you're the guy I always think of because I read a lot of your work on The Athletic back in the day. So I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you giving me 30, 40 minutes of your time. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and just because you mentioned him, Darren Helm, like I would watch games with him. I'm like, this guy's got to be 45 years old, right? <laughs> like, and, 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 you know, he's in his you know late 30s, but 
I was just like, this guy's been around for, this guy's had to have been around for 20 years. Right. Yeah. And then right. I would look at him. He's like 35. I'm like, that's impossible. Like I, this guy <laughs> should be at least 40. Like, yeah, I, I, I grew up in Detroit. I moved to Denver six yeah, months okay, before COVID when I took this job and I was 2008, I was 14 years old. I was born in 93. I was 14 to 15 years old watching Darren Helm and the Red Wings win the Stanley cup. I was 11 or 12 when he was drafted in that 2005 draft. To me, he's literally been around forever. And then when he came here to only realize, ah, oh, the Avalanche signed this old guy to center their fourth line. And I'm like, he's only 32, 33. Like it, it made no sense. So no, it's just yeah. like, I think, yeah, I remember being at a game, one of the, one of the playoff games, I think. Uh, two years ago, I was like, this guy's like, I want to say, how old is Darren Helm? And I was like, he's got to be 40. And it was, he's like 34. I'm like, that's impossible. Like, the that's funny, just- yeah. The funny thing is, it's because he was, you know, he played a lot of years with that Maltby Draper core that they had in their yeah. bottom six for so long that you start to associate him with those guys. And then you realize he's so young compared to those guys, I should say. But yeah, yeah that, he, no, was, he was, he was a great dude to have here. Yeah. The, you know, great career for sure. Like it was just, for how long he had been in the league. And then, you know, as you said, it's kind of hard to, you know, remember that he broke into the league so young. It just felt like he's like one of those guys that's like, all right, how how much time does this guy have left? He's got to be like 42. (laughs) And then I was like, no, he's 34. I'm like, that's impossible. So yeah. Anyway, it was always, yeah, it was always, it was always (laughs) wild to me real quick that he was younger than uh, that. He is younger than Andrew Cogliano, the other veteran who to me does not feel like he's been around as long. So that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. That's funny. But but anyway, yeah, we've yeah. gone uh, we've gone way over here, Adam. I really appreciate it. One more time, thanks a lot. Uh, I'll uh, be sure to tell Ryan Johansson you said hello when I when I get to chat with him here in a couple of weeks. So uh, thanks a lot for doing that. Thanks a lot for uh, speaking about your time with the Preds and covering Johansson. And uh, with that, we'll we'll put an end to it right here. Thank you for having me.